0: Sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Yep, Aaron and I getting together here through the magic of the worldwide interweb. I can see him. He can see me. You can't see us and we can't see you, but we know you're there. And we, there's no, uh, there's impress-
2: no dog in your room
1: today. Yeah, I uh, I banished Daisy. Uh, I had forgotten that it was our podcast. Somehow in my head, I still was on the uh, Pure Sex Radio podcast, and I didn't want the dog in the background because they do video, Aaron. Oh, they yeah. actually do video. Well, hey, we did video for a while. I know. I think we did it too early. I do uh, think that the world has turned. More and more people are watching their podcasts on youtube and maybe it's time if we can get the volunteer help to do it yeah we have I'm, the not, technology. I'm not i'm not doing that anymore no i think no, that, no.
2: i think there were like 10 people that watched it they were like i watch it on youtube and that was about a two-hour edit so i'm sorry you let us know you can always write to us at pirate monk podcast at gmail.com if you want us to get back to it and and yeah, yeah. If you, if you want we'll to give you the videos
1: We'll give you the videos, and we also can give you the transcripts because we can automate transcripts now. But Aaron and I don't have the time to do that work. I do think that I uh, I would love the listeners to be able to see you in your natural habitat. Jeez, they, hear guests, cre- they hear our guests. They hear our guests comment on it. You can't change a thing. If <laughs> we're going to do this,
2: clean. No, it's such a mess no, scene. no, no. It has to look like this.
1: That you look like. You, you look like the, oh, yeah, yeah. the the absent-minded professor, brilliant, just living <laughs> in organized chaos. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the yeah, the, the listeners are, deserve to see you. I in your feel natural like environment. you have just
2: made the case for why we will not go back to that YouTube channel. <laughs> that's probably <laughs> still there. I don't know. I haven't looked at it for fifteen years. Yeah, uh, yeah. Great, good stuff. Uh, I sure hope not. Okay. Uh, things have things have turned towards the uh, the holiday
1: season. You and mm-hmm. Allie went and had Thanksgiving alone. We did, yeah. Kids and grandkids were with in laws, so Allie and Daisy and I went to a little lakeside cottage in North Alabama and had a, had a nice few days.
2: Daisy's the dog, listeners. Just in case okay. you were wondering. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's Daisy? Yeah. Well, see, we had the opposite experience because this is the first holiday that all the kids were here in at least three or four years. Wow. So that was that was the exact opposite for us. Yeah. And we had a good time. Kids all cooked. Right. We watched uh we watched the Santa Claus because my son's oh. fiance had never seen it. And there's certain movies that's just fun to be there for Mm -hmm. somebody's first time. And the Santa Claus is one of them, darn it. Although it felt more dated this year than ever since somebody was watching it that had never seen it. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, (laughs) yeah, okay. (laughs) So are you looking forward to the Christmas season? What does
1: that even mean to you? Oh, yeah, certainly I am. Uh, We will have the kids and the grandkids with us uh, for Thanksgiving, or for Christmas, that's part of the trade-off, you know. We give them up for Thanksgiving to get them at Christmas. And, uh, you know, we still have the grand, you know, we've got teenage grandkids and we've got preteen grandkids. And uh, and we've got a wonderful church community. So there'll be, you know, there'll be a Christmas Eve service. Uh, there'll be a progressive dinner leading up to it. A progressive
2: uh, dinner for adults? I've only done yes. that in junior high youth group.
1: That's fun. Oh, come on.
2: Yeah, I have never well, done that as an
1: adult. Yeah. And Man. since we have we have several families from the church now that live on our street here in Mount Pleasant, uh, our progressive dinner we can walk to. Uh, yeah, it's going to be nice. See, I
2: and so for the last number of years since the kids got older, since we moved here, certainly since the divorce Christmas season is such a stress to me because I mm-hmm. feel like I can never give everybody what they want as yeah. far as like activities and making it special. And this is when somebody, you know, will send a, uh, I don't know what those pages are called. The thing with all the ideas and crafts and shit like that. <laughs> like, here's how you can do it cheap and do this. And it's, it's like, yeah, okay. that. So, I as, as we enter in, we are recording this right before the 1st of December. Once again, I'm trying to figure out, all right, how do we do this Christmas so it is something that will be a joy to remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but, oh, the different seasons. You describing years. I want grandkids. I want everybody to yeah. have their own houses, and I want grandkids. Okay. That sounds fun. It's coming. It's coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I I can just imagine all the different listeners and different versions of where they're at in their lives, whether it's in the middle of some chaos, possibly some relational chaos, and Mm -hmm. what is supposed to be the simplest joy of having a holiday season can become just the darkest time. Yeah, it can. It can. And so we got to, I guess we got to lean into our, our brothers at those times. Yes. And not be afraid to, not be afraid to inconvenience them.
1: There was uh, a Samson meeting. Our local Samson meeting did meet on Thanksgiving. Uh, and there were, you know, it was not a big meeting, but there were three guys there and we will meet again uh, on Christmas day. Really? Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Samson never sleeps. Well, Christmas Day is Monday, so you're doing a special meeting. Oh, typically they happen on the same day. Have I got it messed up? Okay, it'll be the day after. At any rate, at Christmas time there will be a uh, there will be a, a Samson meeting in Columbia.
2: So, so what do we have to say real quick before we jump in? Yeah. Which we have to jump in. I was talking with one of our Samson friends today. Mm -hmm. who called and hadn't talked to him for a while, and he said, yeah, I didn't want to call because I don't want to be annoying. And so Mm -hmm. there's the side of the people that don't want to ask for what they need Mm -hmm. because it feels scary. Yeah. And then there's the side of the people that maybe your family is intact and you're not in the middle of crisis, Mm -hmm. uh, that part of your journey in Samson is making sure that you create space for brothers who need that. Yeah. So what yeah. what do, what do you have to say to that dynamic from both perspectives?
1: Yeah, I do think this is the way that uh, it's important for us to serve each other during the holidays, and to uh, for the for those who need help to be humble enough, open enough, brave enough, courageous enough to ask for help. Yeah, uh, it's important that the guys who are in relational hell during the holidays. They're sing- they're single, or they're separated, or divorced. Uh, that they don't just run off and hide. And it's also important that for those of us who, by the grace of God, have an intact relationship in a family, that we uh, we open the door uh, to e- even if they're not in the house with us on on the holiday, we can take some time away from the family, get on the phone. Uh, get on the computer, connect with that man that we know is by himself. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's part of uh, being a member of a brotherhood and a body. Yeah, it's part of community. Well,
2: yeah. I'm thinking we're going to have to ask Sean to push this episode up, because I just realized this probably isn't coming out until like March, and this yeah, conversation yeah. will make no sense. But we, listeners— we, Maybe we'll make it happen. But if it's March, think about all of this for Easter, because many people in Easter might not have a place to, you know, do a hunt. I don't know. Uh, But stick with us. Uh, We got a great conversation coming up. And so
1: we will be right back here on the Pirate Monk podcast. You know, listening to podcasts like this one is certainly helpful to your recovery. And so are the many books that we recommend. But recovery is not something that any of us can do by independent study. None of us can recover alone. We heal in relationship. So it's crucially important for you to find a recovery community, a Samson Society group or a Pure Desire group or a Celebrate Recovery or other 12-step program somewhere where you can bring your real self and say the real truth. And there's another resource that you can draw on, one that's been extremely helpful to me over the years. In those times when my recovery has plateaued or when I've gotten stuck or I've started to lose ground, I've found that there's nothing like time with a highly skilled, well-trained therapist or recovery coach to get me moving again. Now, sometimes that's taken the form of a weekly counseling appointment At other times, it's meant attending a week-long or a weekend intensive. If you're ready to take a dramatic step forward in your recovery, let me suggest LifeWorks Christian Counseling. Uh, These are good folks. The Hunters and their staff get addiction. They understand trauma, and their approach is both biblically and scientifically sound. They work with individuals and couples They're based in Madison, Mississippi, but they can work with you anywhere remotely through Zoom. And at various times throughout the year, they also run weekend intensives for Samson guys. To learn more, go to lifeworks.ms. That's lifeworks.ms. Or give them a call at 601-790-0583. Welcome back to the Part Monk Podcast. Hey, what a privilege it is to have with us on the show today, Jonathan Darnty, uh, founder, I guess, uh, patriarch of Be Broken Ministries. Welcome, Jonathan.
0: Yeah, thanks, Nate. I'm glad to be here. I I don't know if I'm ready to be called patriarch, but that's pretty uh that's pretty sweet. I guess I got the gray and the beard and things like that. You got so. the
1: look, man. You've got the yeah. patriarch beard happening. I'm looking at you and Aaron on the split screen here, and I I, I don't know. I'm just uh I, I feel like it's time to go up to the temple. Oh, uh, Jonathan Croft, <laughs> I'm just lazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, Jonathan, I had a great time yesterday having a conversation on your
0: podcast. How long have you guys been podcasting? Uh, We started about two years after I founded the ministry. So 2005 is when we started the podcast. And it's it's why the name of the podcast is Pure Sex Radio, because we actually started before podcasting was around.
1: (laughs) We were actually on the radio
0: before podcasts existed. Amazing. And man, that that makes you
1: a pioneer, because you were publicly talking about this stuff in 2005. That's before we didn't start our podcast until I think 2008. So you were three years ahead of us. Uh, Take us back to the early days. What brought you into this ministry? Was it mere curiosity? You woke up one day and you thought, gee, gosh, I wonder what it's like to be a porn addict and uh, if there's a way I could possibly help
0: people like that. Is that how it went down? Not really. In fact, after being in this space of ministry for over 20 years now, I've only met, I can count on one hand, the number of people that are in this kind of space as a vocation uh-huh. that did not enter into it with their own story that's connected mm-hmm. to that vocation. And so yeah. for me, that was really how I got into this. And I, w- I would say I was the reluctant minister in this space uh-huh. because... Um, Real quick backstory, I got introduced to porn when I was 12. And so from there all the way up until um, starting, well, not even starting the ministry, but up up until 1999, mm-hmm. I was building a porn and sex addiction. Quietly, yeah. it started very slowly. Um, uh, but then by the time I hit college and beyond, it just accelerated, came into my marriage. And then my recovery personally actually started in 1999 when my wife left me. Because okay. of my porn and sex addiction, and um, and just entering into this space that I had I had never known before. I mean, I I think one of the biggest lies that I believed about in my addiction was I'm the only guy that's ever thought the things I've thought or done the things I've done. There's nobody
2: <laughs> that right, could yeah.
0: actually identify or, or empathize with what I've done. Yeah. And so getting- which which
2: which is always surprising that I had no idea you were that much of a billionaire to have personally funded the multi-billion dollar porn industry. I'm always shocked to meet guys
0: like you that are such subtle billionaires. I know <laughs> the interesting thing to me is that uh, that that's one of the subtle little lies of, of like addiction in general mm-hmm. is that um, you, you begin to learn how to think delusional thoughts. <laughs> sure. It's a very irrational, you know, way to think. So then in my recovery, kind of getting into the space and starting to understand what does, my goodness, what does confession and honesty and community and all these kinds of things mean? Um, after nine months of my wife and I being separated, God did a miracle and we were reconciled and restored. And so we've been married for nearly 28 years now. And, um, but to get back to your original question, uh, founding the ministry in 2003, even at the beginning of my recovery, was never something that was on my mind. Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. I had the mindset and, and and Nate, you can tell me if you maybe ever thought this, even in your own personal journey, I had this thought of even entering into recovery of like, okay, listen, I'm starting to kind of get that. You've, you've got to have a lifestyle shift. It's not just about sort of going on a quote unquote purity diet or whatever. It's like, you have to really change the way you do your life. But I still had this mindset of recovery is being able to get to a point where I can put this in my past. Yes. Uh-huh. I I can actually begin to live away from, the, like, I'm, I'm not connected to that part of my story ever again. And as most of us that continue on this journey realize, God has different ideas around what the mm-hmm. journey really looks like. It's way more integrated mm-hmm. and connected yeah. than, than I wanted to believe. I felt yeah. like I want yeah. this demarcation in my life that I can say when I get to a certain point in my recovery, I can say, good that part of my life is done and finished and now I can get on with the rest of my life and, yeah yeah and and God really started um, sort of turning the apple cart over in my life in 2002 yeah by starting to really disrupt my prayer life with him um mm-hmm. and 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 what I mean by that is he started, kind of just in my spirit, asking me a question of if I wanted unbelievable joy. And I thought, this is a weird question because my wife has come back. We're starting to have kids. There's all these joyful blessings that are happening in my Mm -hmm. life. I'm not looking at porn anymore. I'm not doing these addictive behaviors. And I'm thinking, it's pretty joyful. I mean, that seems like joy. Mm -hmm. And he was pressing on me and pressing on me. And of course, who says no to God when he says, do you want unbelievable joy? Mm -hmm. And every time I would respond like that, I would get this overpowering sense of the voice of God saying, tell your story. Mm. And I thought, wait a second. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to get away from that story. I'm trying to get away. And and so God started to disrupt my life in other ways where Mm -hmm. in uh, January of 2003, I got laid off from my job unexpectedly. And I was Mm -hmm. vice president of operations of this multimedia company. And um, then he started kind of turning the volume up on that question. And I love yeah. to tell people that God will never infringe on your free will, but He can narrow your options. So, <laughs> well, okay,
2: I want I want to come back to this point in your story, but first, uh, you know, we jumped into 1999. You get divorced because porn has reached that point. Well, in she your left. Life. I, I don't know or, that you were divorced. Yeah, we were just really. separated. We didn't okay. actually get separated. Divorced. Yeah, 1999. But what what was it? what was porn the solution for in your life that brought you to that place
0: yeah that's a good question you know i think um uh i think for me you know i was i feel like i was kind of one of the first i don't know maybe maybe kind of in that first generation i mean i'm a gen xer but i'm i'm Mm -hmm. i still think there was a a growing number even in my generation that was getting into pornography and other kinds of things, not based on the old model, which was always sort of like a a wound model, an abuse model, or something where there was was a a wound that was then being the -hmm. reason why going into that. I mean, I had a friend introduce it to me, and it was just like an explosive curiosity thing. But what it eventually became was a substitute for actually being vulnerable. Mm
1: -hmm. I was a...
0: I was terrified of what does it look like to be truly emotionally naked or emotionally vulnerable to anyone, let alone like a spouse or whatever. But so I was. I learned um, this is where Nate, your story and mine kind of parallel a lot. I, I learned to know how to really impress people. Yeah. I mean, I could be I could be eloquent or I could be you know kind of the rock star, so to speak, in a way that uh, was less genuine than authentic but people bought it as genuine. Yes. Does that make sense? It was oh, like yeah. I, I had a great persona. Yeah. yeah. So, you were you were you were the Roger Daltrey of those situations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: But, Sorry, um, I, I, I so to answer back, your question, the listeners won't actually know what we're talking about.
0: But yeah. go on, rock star. But to, but to answer your question Aaron, yeah, it was uh it was it was more I think it, it wasn't so much like in response to, I had this, you know, tormenting childhood or I had parents that were disconnected or whatever. I actually had a very stable home life, obviously not perfect, but, um, but I didn't have some of the, the sort of normal to that point in history (laughs) kind of indicators that would lead towards this kind of addiction. And so mm-hmm. in my, in, when I did start my recovery and started looking at some of those questions, like what you're asking, I realized this is an avoidance mechanism. This is a, uh, a stress reliever. This is a way to keep myself at an arm's length from yes. what it really requires to be intimate and to be known. And mm-hmm. it was safe. It just felt safer for me to go to things like pornography, to be able to say, I can have these sort of pseudo intimate feelings without the real genuine vulnerability that intimacy requires. Yeah. Uh, How does that affect
2: as you start working, well, uh, not even back then, um, but recently when so much is around story and trauma from childhood, things like that, and this is your story, which I very much relate to, how does that affect how you lean into it, and even how it feels personally. I know sometimes those parts of my story makes it uncomfortable when I'm working with people who are saying, "Here's here are the traumas that birthed this
0: mm-hmm. self-soothing. So, how's that been for you? Yeah, well, one thing I always like to do is I like to make sure everybody knows that their story is theirs. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm real careful even though we have so much more wonderful like information and research and data and all this kind of stuff that that really is helpful for maybe developing models for recovery or just or just being able to kind of understand things it's always in a bell curve though right there's always outliers in that and so one yes. thing i i try to do is be very careful of even in my even in my own personal journey of recovery but also when i'm ministering to others is I want to use sort of models for helping define things but not overlay that on them as a formula for solving their you know their story a story is not something to be solved a story is something to be shared and then we start kind of can pick the pieces apart and so for me a lot of times what that has meant is because i'm still on a journey yeah did did you know i mean i i'm more and more convinced of this the longer i live Whatever our primary weakest links are in our lives, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, whatever, I don't think those things really shift over time. Meaning, mm-hmm. I don't think I'm going to wake up tomorrow and go, I have a brand new absolute core fear or I have a brand yeah. new absolute core like weakness. Guess what? I still struggle to this day with what does it take to really be vulnerable, to really be known? I mean, that's even as, even as, long as I've been on this journey I go mm-hmm. that's still a core issue for me is yeah. really being vulnerable and intimate and sharing struggles and saying I'm still on I'm still in process and all of that so I don't know if that answers your question or not yeah, yeah. but mm-hmm.
2: well it does and so take us back to this uh, point where God's offering you amazing joy and you just are really okay with status quo joy
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's a good way to put it. I feel like um, in many ways, it was like God was starting to to reframe what the expectations really are in a recovery journey and even to reframe the vision for for what does the future look like on this path? Because I think I was starting with, and what I've noticed after doing this ministry for a long time is it's a pretty typical vision that a lot of men have when they come into a recovery space. It's very obvious what the problem is and though, so they say the solution is to stop doing these behaviors that are the problem so you what know, they so perceive to be the problem so
2: you were you were like all of the rest of us mistaking sobriety for recovery
0: yeah or just the idea i like to put it i was mistaking abstinence for yeah. <laughs> for true yeah. freedom yeah. and true recovery yeah and and, and usually what that goal then looks like is when I can get to a certain point where those behaviors and those particular inclinations are no longer part of my life, then I'm free to sort of move on with the rest of my life. And I think what God was doing was he was doing two things at the same time. One, he was reframing that vision to say, I want to actually help you understand what real freedom and joy are all about. And at the same time, I'm going to make that your life's vocation. Now that doesn't happen for everybody. That second part doesn't happen for everybody. But I do think every guy has to get to a point where the reframing of what the goal really is, if I can even put it in those terms, is not some arbitrary place of behavior modification, Mm -hmm. but is learning how to go on a lifelong journey of brotherhood and community and faith and just learning to live into all the all that all the fruit that the Spirit is meant to produce in our lives.
2: Let me let me ask a question tying two of your thoughts together. You you said you've learned that these core fears, these core things, they're not going to change. They're going to come up when you're feeling anxious, when the when the screws start tightening down. Was there a belief in in what you said if I stop these behaviors for long enough and I can move on, was it tied into and and I won't feel those core things anymore because that with without even necessarily Thinking it at the surface was tied into these behaviors. I will not have those things anymore. Were those tied together at all for
0: you, do you think? You know, they they might have been. I don't know if I was that astute at that point in the the journey Mm -hmm. to make that connection. It's funny. I feel like sometimes I don't like to give guys timelines in my story because then they just kind of their shoulders slump and they go, oh, crap, it's going to take that long. Because I feel like sometimes I'm the slow kid on the block when it comes to recovery because some of these sort of aha moments took like 10 years to develop in yeah, my, yeah, in my journey. Yeah.
1: yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and
0: so I Me wish too. I could say, Hey, early on, Aaron, these things were really connected and I could see that if I just got to mm-hmm. these certain behavior modifications, all of a sudden my core fear of not feeling like I measure up would just go away.
2: But yeah. well, but the reason I ask is because a lot of listeners may have that beneath the surface as well. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get rid of this behavior and I just believe that will solve all these other things that really the behavior was just helping to mask and removing the behavior only brings that other stuff to the surface to say, now you're really going to look at this. And, mm-hmm. and that can feel surprising or even like a failure. Like, I, I, I'm abstaining now. Why is this still here? I mm-hmm. thought I was going to mm-hmm. fix it. And if mm-hmm. we don't consider that, then I think that can, can certainly put guys in uh, danger for relapse because abstinence or sobriety is not accomplishing what they assumed without even thinking about it was supposed to happen.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the things that is very important to to say at this point is we can so easily compartmentalize this addiction into a place that we say it's sort of separate from some of these other emotional issues or these wound issues or some of these other kinds of things. In other words, even to have this conversation we're having right now, some guys that are listening to this might be going, I don't know if I still see the connection like they're they don't understand because they've so tried to put this into a particular box and say listen my porn use that's kind of just me time it's you know I get it that maybe when I'm stressed I go look at porn or whatever and they don't see that there is a huge engine that is driving this on the emotional level that is underneath all of that and so I think it's kind of baby steps that you have to enter into this space and you almost you almost have to do some reverse engineering where you say Okay, let's look at the, you know, let's, let's look at what you're doing and your are acting out behaviors. And then you start kind of diving into those attractions, those temptations. And then when you start uh, unpacking that, a lot of times what you'll realize is guys have developed what we like to call in our ministry a sexual filter. And it's based on all these things we're talking about, core fears, anger issues, you know, family of origin kind of stuff. And this is some of the biggest aha moments that guys have in our ministry is when we start going back and, and talking about some of those things that developed patterns in their life, they start to realize, you know what? My temptations aren't even random because mm-hmm. I think we can easily think I'm looking at porn because of, and then you fill in the blank with whatever it is, and it's usually real behavioral, or it's just really, I'm just a guy or whatever. But when you really start breaking down, what does capture your attention? What is the thing that causes you to turn your head? What are, the, what are the things that cause you to, to hold that into your mind and say, I'm going to fantasize about that later. And when they realize that that is actually rooted in some of these core emotional issues that we're talking about, it's like the lights start coming on and they realize I am a whole integrated person that is being driven towards these things. In other words, I'm not these compartments or these disconnected pieces. I don't have addiction me over here and then somehow like spiritual me and emotional me over there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this is very important to the whole overall journey but i would just want to encourage the guys that are listening especially if you're you know early on in the journey this takes a long time and so that's why i think we have to we have to set this vision for recovery that is not about just stopping certain behaviors but it's about going on this journey of really learning a new way to connect with yourself and others
2: okay Mm -hmm. so in this journey you've talked about behavioral stuff Part of being on the journey is stopping certain behaviors. Hard to be on the journey when you continue the behaviors. Mm-hmm. Second, you're talking about introspection, slowly discovering more about ourselves, our stories, our sexual filters. That's what you said, right? I guess right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But uh, I love that the, term, I, by the way. Yeah. Okay. I, I get the third the third piece of the question I would have is what did you discover about the role of grace when mm-hmm. you started stepping into this?
0: Well, now you're now you're uh, getting into my absolute favorite topic. <laughs> uh, this is my absolute favorite thing to talk about with guys um, because I think you know I actually had had the the great honor of being able to be raised in a Christian home where uh, the gospel was taught. I the gospel was actually lived out in my parents. It was not just in name only. They were doing their best to try to follow the Lord and really live according to His word and His principles. And so I feel like I got a good foundation, but, um, I like to say there's a, I can't remember the name of the counselor, but I use her phrase all the time. She says, kids are great observers, but terrible interpreters. Mm
1: -hmm. And so I
0: think, I think what was slowly and subtly being sort of woven into my heart, especially as I was starting to get, uh, divided with this porn use and this secret habit was I was starting to be, to put, grace in connection with behavior meaning like grace can kind of go up and down based on my behavior like god's favor is on this yo-yo and it's really based on my performance and i think that just started subtly kind of getting ingrained in me to where it really took me getting into recovery to have a whole if i could put it this way reformation Mm -hmm. around my understanding of grace so how Um, did you come to reinterpret grace it happened literally the day that my wife left me um it was that stark of a moment because when she left this is this is gonna be one of those things that sort of again proves that when you when you really develop an addiction you become delusional in your thinking um i never thought my wife would leave me now that's nuts i mean i am i'm not Mm -hmm. just looking at pornography i am uh i'm i'm sleeping with prostitutes. I'm having multiple affairs. I'm using the internet to set up on- offline encounters. I mean, I am a mess sexually in terms of my addiction. Mm-hmm. And yet I never thought she would leave because I thought she's the, she's the good one in the relationship. Well, when she left, it's kind of like that just took my knees out from under me. And I remember going back into my living room after I watched her car you know, drive off. And it's kind of like I had the first clear thought I'd had in my life. And uh, I think some of us can narrow our lives down to these sort of pivotal moments where it's like literally this five minutes of time set the trajectory for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I knew I had only two choices. I could keep doing what I was doing, but I would be dead within a year because I was already suicidal and all kinds of other things. Or I could return to the God who saved me as a young boy. And I remember... I won't go into all the details it's kind of a long story in terms of of how I came to to faith but um when that memory of of you know coming to faith in God hit me at that moment when I'm a full-blown sex addict sitting on my couch you know totally alone I just sort of broke down and I remember hitting the floor and I just couldn't hold back tears but I also had this view of God at that moment of yeah, this is the woodshed moment that God's going to have with me. Finally, he's going to set me straight. He's going to come and give me my whipping and get me back in shape. And the experience that I had with God was completely counter to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus met me on my floor mm-hmm. without any words of condemnation. In fact, as clear as you're hearing me right now, I just heard these words over and over and over again in my mind saying, I know, I know, I know and Mm. that was grace Mm. i did not deserve to have that kind of treatment for what i had been doing to my wife and others and to god and everything and so for me i felt like that moment on the floor with jesus totally reset and recalibrated my understanding of grace because i thought if in this moment this moment where i believe really my life is over i mean what what could i possibly what could happen that's good from this point in my life is what i was thinking Mm if He's willing to meet me like that there with that kind of grace and no condemnation, then I thought maybe there is hope that my life could be Mm. completely changed. And so that's the foundation from which the rest of my recovery and really the rest of my life has been based on is that understanding Jesus that's willing to meet us in our mess and go, I know, I totally know, I've I've borne all your shame, I've borne all your sins, I know exactly where you are right now and I'm not gonna leave you. That changed everything for me.
2: Boy, that I know. I'm just thinking of the Psalms. Oh, Lord, you've searched and know me. You know everything. Yeah. Am I going? Am I coming in? And then where can I go from your spirit? I can go to the depths. I can go to the mm-hmm. heights. I can't. And anybody who doesn't understand the grace you just talked about, all of those realities of God should only terrify the shit out of us. hmm mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, and I feel like I've been spending the last 24 years— on a journey of learning what all of that means to how I live. And that's why I believe, and this is what I teach all the time, you know, grace is the foundation and the fuel for our transformation. Yes, yes. Like many times people look at grace as sort of like just this get out of jail free card kind of thing or your ticket to heaven or whatever. And then they say, but, but now it's up to me, you know, now that I've Mm -hmm. been quote unquote saved, now it's up to me. And, um, I love the fact that, God won't let us get off that easily. Like, yeah, he's very, if I could put it this way, he's very jealous about his grace. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Meaning like, and, and, and the, and the woodshed is just as cheap as
2: anything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, the woodshed's a way to avoid God's grace. God punish me. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, what's been interesting, not only in my own life, but also in the life of the men we serve, the, the, the one thing about this grace-based approach that actually is the biggest stumbling block is they come to realize that the grace based way is not easy. Mm -hmm. And the reason it isn't is because guess what grace doesn't allow for us to get any credit. And yet I tell them in the same breath, I say, grace is absolutely going to be the way in which you're transformed. And you're going to work your butt off like you've never worked your butt off in your entire life. And they're like, Wait Mm -hmm. a second. It feels like you just put grace and works together. And I always tell him, I said, when you actually do understand and experience the grace of God, you will become the hardest working saint in the kingdom. Not because you're earning anything from God, but because mm-hmm. you understand just how much you are beloved and embraced and how much he will meet you on your floor, then you're like, Absolutely, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work in response to that grace, not as some way that I think I'm I'm earning it.
2: So this is hugely important to recovery because you started off with you losing grace because of performance and abstinence and sobriety can be the thing that we offer God as the gift. Here it is. I've done this. I haven't touched Mm. my wiener in six months now. And he's like, no, no, no. I, I searched and know you. And there's so much more to you than that, which then brings back the fear of you've seen all my deficiencies. Oh, yeah. And yeah. then we get to what you're talking about, where where real life, real recovery happens. Because it's not that the abstinence or the sobriety meant nothing. It just didn't mean the most.
0: And that's why, so I'd say 90% of our time in, in our recovery programs and work is spent on helping a guy actually understand the truth of his identity in that. So when, when you have this grace-based foundation and when you say there's absolutely nothing that you could do that would make God favor you more or less, he can't love you more or less. It's like at a constant 10 all the time, you know, look to the cross. That's your value to God. You're worth the life of his only son. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. He'll never change. Therefore, your value can't fluctuate. Great. We got that baseline. Now, all the work That has to go on in the recovery journey, all the setting of boundaries and and confessing sins to one another and getting in group and and doing all that kind of work has no basis on changing that measure. So therefore, what this does is you know that your identity is a constant. So when you come into a group setting and you're saying, man, I had a crappy day, guess what? Your value didn't go down. You can get to work on learning from that mistake rather than feeling like your identity is that mistake. Also, if you come in and you report to the guys, man, I I like resisted 10, 10, 10 temptations today. I had a great day. Your value didn't go up before God because God says, guess what? I'm the one that was faithful to give you a way of escape for every single one of those temptations, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So there's a sense in which there's such a stability that grace brings to the recovery process. That whether we are hitting home runs or we are striking out, our value and our identity, identity doesn't change. And I know for me, that has made all the difference in creating that stable baseline, and it's by grace. So if, I, if I'm if i you know crapping out on one day, guess what? His grace lifts me up. If I'm doing great on one day, His grace gives me what I need to, to worship and celebrate because it's like I recognize that wasn't because of my strength, my wisdom, or my power.
2: But man, the Mm. work of that is so complicated because say you hit 10 home runs. I resisted the temptations. The idea of, okay, well, that didn't increase the grace. Oh, right. But there's a Christian version of humility Mm. that is devastating where it's like, don't ever think that was awesome. But it was awesome. Why is it awesome? Because my dad, because of his grace, is like, Oh, I'm loving what you're doing today. You're rocking it. And so my affirmation comes from his love versus my own arrogance, where I can also think it was awesome because now I have something to bring God. That becomes nuanced and subtle, and that takes a long time to work out. I feel joy because I resisted temptation because I'm in the center of my dad's pride for me, and he's only able to do that because of the grace as a whole.
0: But that's, that's, that's why, nuanced. yeah, and that's why another one of those components that's so closely tied to the identity issue is, and I'm sure you guys deal with this all the time, is having to have grace attack the shame
1: mm-hmm.
0: that comes yeah. as part of somebody's addiction because all those things are intertwined. Your identity and shame are so connected in your addiction, I mean, it's like they feed off of each other to make you start to believe that you are your sin. You are your addiction. Like that's an identity statement. And so even when we start getting identity clear, uh, more clarity around it based on grace, guess what? Shame's just going to get louder and say, yeah, Mm -hmm. but you know what? Okay, so you started this recovery a month ago, but you know what? Yesterday you looked at porn. You're a piece of crap, you know? And so it's like, you have to then do that battle because otherwise, if if you do what we call performance based recovery, when that shame attacks, you're going to say, "Okay, I got to try harder." Because you're mm-hmm. thinking you have to earn something now, right? You think my my value just went down, so I've got to earn it. Whereas if we can keep that grace constant, and that's why I think we need um, we need guys that are that have been in the journey longer that have started to learn this. Like this grace is getting into their bones. Um, mm-hmm. This is why I'm so so adamant with guys of saying, "Listen, the the full circle." Of of the process uh, is is you then sharing with others you then actually coming along and mentoring others we have what we call our transformation pathway and it's heal grow share and I tell people mm-hmm. all the time you haven't really completed the circle yet unless you're taking this amazing transformation that God is doing in your life and then sharing it with others.
2: Well, Nate, I'm just catching up with Jonathan Darty, but what are you what are you thinking?
1: Well, I'm wondering so. Uh, you're invited into joy, and the price of this uh, this extra joy, this amazing joy, is to start telling your story. How did that? How did? Where did you tell your story first? And and then how did be broken come out of that?
0: Yeah. So when I finally um, realized that you can only wrestle with God for so long before you walk with a limp. Um, yeah. <laughs> I said, Okay, I'm all in. And, And it wasn't like it was totally reluctant. I mean, eventually, my heart began to change. And I started to see from God's perspective, Oh, yeah, you know what, me continuing to think that this journey is about me just getting on with my life is really still pretty self centered. When I started seeing it from God's perspective and saying this is his story. I mean, he's done this amazing work in my life. I can't take credit for this, you know, freedom that I'm enjoying. When I finally got on board with that, I, you know, the first place I really went to was my church. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I'd already, it's interesting because even prior to officially starting Be Broken Ministries, I had started a group in my church in, um, actually in 2000. So I've been doing group wow. ministry for 23 years now. Um, wow! And so, and that's, that, that was my little, I feel like that was my way of saying, oh, that's my giving back or paying it forward kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. But God said, I got bigger plans for you. Um, but then I went to my church and and I remember we did a, uh, um, we, we did a men's gathering. And it was funny because there'd never been anything ever done before in my church around this topic.
1: And you gotta realize it's
0: 2003, right? I mean, yeah. this is, there were hardly any resources around. There were like two books out there that were even based uh, faith-based, you know, you had Russell Willingham's Breaking Free, and you had Mark Laser's, uh well, Faithful and True at that point in time, and now it's healing the wounds of sexual addiction. Um, but we had, we were going to have this men's event, and I was going to share my story and and let people know about what was going on. And I remember my wife and I, we were like, this has never been done at our church before. And I mean, what would be just beyond the pale, crazy dream of number of men that we would want to have at this. And I just threw a number out there. I said, a hundred guys would blow me away.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, guess how many exactly, the, it was exactly a hundred guys Wow, <laughs> that ended up coming to this. And I'm thinking, and at that point in time, that was larger than our entire men's ministry. <laughs> We're yeah. Yeah. We in a big church at that time. So that was kind of the launch of, of the ministry. Um, but it was really about just being faithful to that call. It was three words, tell your story. Mm -hmm. And so that's really what I've been doing for the last 20 years, is just telling my story. And what I've found, and I know you've found this to be true too, guys, is that um, when you tell your story, it's the best bridge for building trust and credibility with guys who are going, I don't know if I want to talk about my porn issue, or I don't know if I'm ready to do that. When you're willing to be vulnerable and tell your story, it's like, they go, this is somebody that's been there. And also, mm. because they've been there, I might be more willing to listen to them than if somebody just starts spouting off statistics to me or telling yeah. me something that sounds like it's come out of a book or just purely research yeah. or whatever. Um, so I've found story to be the most powerful yeah. link that helps us actually mm. help others set f- mm. get, you know, get free.
1: Now, over time, you guys, now you've developed resources. Uh, I want to make sure our listeners uh, are uh, learn about the resources that are available at Be Broken, because it really is pretty stupendous.
0: Uh, and you're ministering to wives these days as well, right? It's not just guys? Yeah, so we started out almost exclusively as a men's ministry, just kind of sexual addiction recovery, yeah, yeah. and then found out about 85% of our men were married. So yeah. about 10, 10 or 11 years ago, we started a wives' care ministry And then we realized most of those couples have kids. And so we now have a family care ministry as well. Uh, Family care is a little bit different in the sense that we're not necessarily looking to solve problems. Like, in other words, uh, Mm -hmm. respond to porn use in kids or whatever. We're doing more of like prevention and education for parents to raise up. We want to get upstream. You know, we want to try to get upstream on this issue. But And then we also do uh, leadership training for like pastors and church leaders and things like that. So those are kind of our four... Four main lanes that we have is men, wives, family, and and leaders. And let's
1: talk specifically about men. So Mm -hmm. there are weekend experiences, week three day intensives,
0: right? Uh, Yeah, we have our gateway. Talk talk a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, we have our gateway to freedom workshop. We started that back in two thousand eight, and so we've had hundreds of men come through that. We do them in Texas, Florida, and Pennsylvania throughout the year, and um, that's a we kind of when we're when we're telling a guy what's going to be the best uh, setup, so to speak, for his mm-hmm. success on this journey, we say there's really kind of a three-legged stool that you need to construct. And that's a combination of uh, intensives, counseling, and group. Yep. And we feel like when you have those three things together, they complement each other so well. Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. just have one of those, sometimes there's certain aspects of kind of things that need to be dealt with at a deeper level yeah. or just in a different mm-hmm. way. And so our intensive helps to really get to uh, some of the core root issues and provides a catalyst for being able to experience um, real freedom versus abstinence or just not yeah, doing yeah, negative yeah. behaviors.
1: Do you cap the number of men uh, at the intensives? How big do yes, those get? Yes,
0: we keep it small. We never have more than uh, usually 18 to 20 guys at a okay. workshop. And All that right. is because we we feel like, well, a couple things. One, we want guys to get personal attention. We even break those groups out in a smaller group that's never more than six or seven guys in one of the small group process. Okay. fantastic uh, sessions. Yeah. yeah, and it's just because we we really believe that um, uh, two things. One, all ministry ultimately ends up being local, and mm-hmm. all transformation happens in small groups. Yes, we don't. I'm not. A, I, I simply don't believe that life transformation happens in mass. Yes, I agree. Like, true life transformation is always yeah. going to happen in small groups, you know. Mm-hmm. So,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Now you have your forty days to freedom uh, program that guys can sign up for. Uh, yeah, we have an
0: online course. We have several. We yeah. have a whole platform of online courses at Pure Life Academy. Um, okay. And our forty days to purity is is man that we've had several. I don't know if we've got over five, seven thousand, something like that, guys that have gone through that course. Um, and it's, it's basically, it's like a daily devotional that comes to you for 40 days. And Mm -hmm. it's really trying to help you learn how to live out the principles of a life of integrity. And, uh, what's great is if guys enroll in that, they get lifetime access to the course. So they can go through it as many times as they want and just kind of keep going deeper in each of those principles. Do you have ongoing
1: online groups, online
0: meetings? Uh, not not currently. What we do, we have our Grace based recovery online study groups, and what those are yeah. is those are eight week groups yeah. that are going through uh, my okay. Grace based recovery book. Yeah. What we try to do is for guys that maybe are in remote areas, we have a we have a, a national network of groups, and uh-huh. then we try to feed those guys into wherever they can best plug in. And I know you guys have started doing online groups. Yeah. So, this is where maybe yeah. we
1: can mesh because we do have yeah. these multiple online meetings every day where guys develop ongoing relationships. So yeah. maybe that's a way we can cooperate.
2: We love doing uh, that.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. Now, how do how do people listen to your podcast? Because Nate was on it yesterday. I'm sure that's not uploaded yet. But tell us more about how people can connect with that.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, All of our resources can be found at BeBroken.org. And then if you go on there, we have the podcast at uh, BeBroken.org slash podcast. Of course, you can find it with any podcast catcher. Like yeah. Apple, Spotify, in any, any of those, if you look up Pure Sex Radio, um, or you search my name, Jonathan Darty, the the podcast will come up. Um, I, I feel like Pure Sex Radio is coming
2: up on somebody's ex Church Watch or uh, Covenant Eyes. I I don't know.
0: Well, here's what's funny. So when uh, there was st- there was a little bit of strategy behind that name. Um, we've had multiple guys over the year that says. Hey, you know, I, I, I started listening to your podcast, not because I was looking for your podcast. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. That's well, good.
1: Hey, grab
0: them how you can. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> well, Jonathan, it has been such a joy talking with you. And I hope this is just the, the first of many, many conversations. And I hope, uh, I hope we get to get to get together in the same physical space sometime soon, uh, I just think it's wonderful. We our ministries were birthed at about the same time. You and I got mm-hmm. introduced to recovery at about the same time. Uh you know, God's called us into, you know, as co-laborers into this thing. And uh I'm just a little disappointed and a little embarrassed that I didn't take the initiative earlier to connect with you.
0: Yeah, well, it's funny because I think we've, we've kind of been living parallel lives for about 20 years, so it's, it's about time we become <laughs> friends, Nate. Yeah. <so. laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Well, uh, listeners, stick with us. We'll be back in just a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast.
2: And we we are back on the Paramount podcast. <laughs> I'll, I'll call that that that's the Jim Carrey cadence. Okay, that's that's fun. Oh, I, what I a love great that guy. you guys have this parallel life
1: thing going on. Uh, no, I know, I uh, know. Yeah, I think he's aged better than I have. Oh, he, I think he got started younger than I did. I think he got smart faster, sooner than I did. Uh, but I just, I love Jonathan and uh, love what I'm learning about Be Broken Ministries. And I'm looking forward to the ways in which uh, Samson and Be Broken can work together. Because they fill in some gaps for us. I uh, Okay.
2: You know what? We haven't done the opening. I want to, I, I'll, I'll bring this up now. We'll have a longer closing, listeners. Okay. We'll have a short opening. Yeah. You said he came to this wisdom younger than you mm-hmm. to which I immediately thought, yeah. And he didn't go through the trauma you went through. Yeah. Right. And as he was talking, I was thinking about a conversation that I had with, with, uh, I think I can say who it was. It's not personal. It's personal to me, not him. Uh, Paul Publito, at mm-hmm. our retreat, he and I were walking late, late at night and he, asked me a great question that I think relates to Jonathan's story and relates to your comment about your own story. I had been talking about my dad. He was asking about my dad. I've been enjoying talking about my dad a lot. Um, And he said, okay, so you seem to have had really good parents. I had really good parents. Not perfect, Mm -hmm. but really good parents. Yeah. And he said, you know, we had just been listening to Adam Young and going through childhood stuff and how it connects. And he said, so you've got these really good parents. Why are you as fucked up as the rest of us? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I thought was a great question. So we sat there for like two hours and Mm -hmm. talked through some of that. And I've been thinking a lot about it since because I thought it was such an important question, possibly for some listeners who don't make like your story, you've got clear connections. Sure. Right between the religious upbringing stuff with your dad stuff with your mom stuff with your stepmom yeah. and that that's always been harder for me and mm-hmm. clearly with Jonathan and I assume with other listeners yeah and i realized that the the irony the irony was it was not the dysfunction of my childhood that brought me painful choices. It was the function Hmm. because I jumped into a relationship that I was sure because I had grown up with really great communication, I believed, oh yeah, I can be in this relationship with a person that's struggling, broken. We'll just learn to communicate. I'll teach them how, because it'll Mm -hmm. all work out. And so there was a naive arrogance To everything I did that was handed to me by my parents, but it was handed to me by my parents because they did a good job, not a bad job. And that (laughs) seems pretty messed up. (laughs) That as Paul and I talked about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I was brought to the same place, but not through the bad.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. So tell me me there. Tell me what you hear with that. Yeah. Well, I kept thinking about you as he was describing his own experience you know, being raised in that, you know, stable, functional Christian family. And I thought, holy crap, Jonathan's talking. He's telling Aaron's story. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I do think that, you know, he, Jonathan made the point that it, it's important that I not overlay, I tell my story, but that I not Make it a template and overlay it on other people's stories that in order to 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 come to the freedom that God has brought me to, that I'm still exploring and, you know, learning how to hang on to, uh, that the only way to come is, the way, is, is uh, you know, is the way I came. I think because we've learned so much about uh, the role of trauma in the development, the typical development of addiction we have forgotten that there is a bell curve and that there are outliers and that there are other ways to come to this this messed up life
2: yeah and and it's it is fascinating how all roads merge at the yeah. trying to take care of ourselves through yeah. all the different means whether yeah. that's sex porn substances whatever that yeah. i don't think anybody gets out of this without reaching that nexus Mm -hmm. and either taking a turn to descend downward or discovering grace.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, grace is such a treasure that whatever it takes for us to find it in the end is worth it. Whatever it takes. But I do, I do appreciate
2: that he's inviting people to the slow process, not the silver bullet. Mm -hmm. Not the, oh, oh, good, you said that phrase, that's what changed everything. I read that Mm -hmm. book, that's what changed everything. Nope, that phrase, that book might just lead you to take the next few steps. Yeah, yeah. And then you'll
1: live more, and then eventually you'll just die. (laughs) And on that note, we're going to wrap this episode (laughs) of the Pirate Monk Podcast. (laughs) Listeners, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we check the mailbox You can reach us at PirateMonkPodcast At gmail.com Well uh, This uh, ap- uh, This edition of the show I guess is coming to a close Until next time I'm Nate I'm Aaron And we are your pals On the Pirate Monk Podcast Arr! The Pirate Monk Podcast Is produced by members of the Samson Society Send your feedback or questions to PirateMonkPodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit SamsonSociety.com.